I'm Tim Dunn, historian and enthusiast of all things transport. In this series, I'm exploring our attachment to the sea through the stories of some of our best-loved ships and how they've managed to survive in Britain today. I'm here in Bristol on the harbour side, and although these docks were closed to commercial traffic back in 75, there are still many reminders of its maritime past. Just across the water is Brunel's iconic steamship, SS Great Britain. But over here, where I'm standing, is another ship with an important part to play in our story. It's a ship they reckon is the most widely travelled UK excursion vessel of them all. It's visited more ports, piers, docks and harbours than any other ship. It's the MV Balmoral. Oh, and by the way, for the uninitiated, MV means motor vessel. Launched in 1949, she sailed all around Britain, and then some too. From Jura to Rye and the Scilly Isles, name a harbour, pier or major nautical event of the last 50 years, and it's odds-on the Balmoral was there. Today, though, she's laid up, awaiting a new chapter in her history. She's 200 foot in length and is powered by two six-cylinder diesel engines and was built to carry about 800 people. Now, you might never have sailed on Balmoral, You've probably seen her, as she's been used in so many period films. I'm here with trustee Dave Bassett. Dave, now can you tell us something about her history and what makes this ship so special? She was originally built for the Solent, for the Red Funnel Fleet, but for the past 30 years she has been based in Bristol and operating out of Bristol. The ship has got classic lines. She's beautifully designed, and though she was built just after the Second World War, the owners wanted a fine ship that would continue the tradition of relaxed cruising around the UK. What was the specification like for this ship? All materials and workmanship has to be a first-class description and accordance with best practice. This was the pride of the Red Funnel fleet, built immediately after the Second World War, and they wanted to have the very best they could get. The ship was designed to go to the continent. It was their flagship, and they wanted to be seen to be the flagship. We've got a clip of her launch, which actually really highlights, I think, the owner's sense of pride in their brand new ship. I name the ship Belmoral. May God bless her and all who sail in her. Just seen the launch of the latest addition to the Red Funnel Fleet at Southampton, which is an institution in the port, and for hundreds of years has been sailing between the Isle of Wight and the mainland. We progressed through the days of steam, paddlers, motor ships, and so on, until today we have launched the Dalmore, which is the last word, in coastal passenger ships. So, Dave, tell me about Balmoral's construction. So Balmoral was built by Thornycroft in Southampton and as well as passengers she had a rear deck that could carry up to 10 cars. So Red Funnel's ability to switch between car ferry in the morning and cruise ship in the afternoon really worked well and as a result she was able to generate revenue throughout the year. So Balmoral was versatile 
and that was the key to our success. The car deck, now long gone, allowing for a new dining saloon, but she certainly does have graceful fine lines, not at all like the more boxy shapes of today's car ferries. But what sort of trips would she do? Well, Balmoral entered service in December 49 on the run between Southampton and Cowes. In the summer, she would also offer cruises around the Isle of Wight and sometimes as far as Bournemouth and Swanage. One speciality was to offer trips out to meet the Grand Ocean Liners as they arrived from America at the end of a five-day crossing from New York. Ships like the RMS Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth or United States. It must have been a wonderful way to see these massive liners up close and on the open sea. I mean, they must be, what, a hundred times the size of a ship like this Balmoral and, what, towering 150 feet above it. Here's a wonderful reminiscence from Balmoral's official history from a passenger on a trip out to see RMS Queen Mary as that liner made her last ever arrival inbound from New York on 27th of September 1967. The trip to meet and accompany the liner into Southampton was fully subscribed. The Queen Mary was observed coming in past Dunno's. She soon turned to port, making over 20 knots and swept past us. In the Balmoral, the skipper had clearly told his chief engineer that when he rang down for full ahead, he meant just that. I had certainly never sailed so fast on the Balmoral before, and do not think I've ever done since. We made a thrilling dash up Spithead and the North Channel, vibrating every rivet, a thin trail of black smoke stretching out astern, overhauling every other craft on the water as we did so. Witnessing that final journey of the liner was perhaps a foretaste of things to come for the Balmoral, and in the next year, 1968, she too was withdrawn from service as tastes changed. In time, she was charted out to P&A Campbell for their Bristol Channel services, a somewhat challenging commercial proposition, with a complex mix of crossings and ferry services between Cardiff and Western Supermare, trips from Swansea to Ilfracombe, and sailings from Bristol out as far as Lundy Island. A tall order, but one for which she is fondly remembered. However, in 1979, P&A Campbell's finances hit real trouble and operations had to cease. The era of day excursion cruising was really coming to an end. With that, it seemed her sailing days were behind her and in 1982, she was sold off, ending up as a floating pub in Dundee. But even that soon folded and it looked like, finally, she had run out of options. I'm now up on the bridge, and it's a wonderful amalgam of tradition and modern tech. The original wheel, compass and telegraphs. With me, though, is Terry Sylvester, a vice president of the Paddle Steamer Preservation Society, someone closely involved with saving the Waverley and the driving force behind the commercial operation. But he's here today to explain how, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, the two ships, Balmoral and Waverley, came to work together. Terry, the Balmoral is a diesel-powered ship with propellers. Definitely not, as far as I'm concerned, a paddle steamer. So why on earth did the Paddle Steamer Preservation Society get involved with it? Well, we'd already had experience operating a second ship, so we knew there were advantages in running two ships together, maximising the earning opportunities and sharing the costs. Two ships also meant more passengers for pier operators. Ships need piers and piers need ships, essential for the ships to continue. So it was the logical thing to do. 
By that time, the Bank of Scotland had seized Balmoral as a creditor. We knew the bank was keen to sell, so we were able to buy her relatively cheaply at £20,000. But we also knew she needed a lot of work to get her ready to sail on passenger sailings again. This was going to cost over 300000 and so it was a great challenge raising the money. But thankfully, there were some very generous people willing to help, and with contributions from some of the seaside resorts who were going to benefit so much from Balmoral's return to operation, we managed to get the ship ready and sailing in some six months. Then, in April 1986, Balmoral took her first cruise back on the Bristol Channel to Ilfracombe, recapturing one of her most popular day trips. There are some truly wonderful folk, aren't there, who supported these ships throughout their lifetime. But the need for money seems to be a constant theme of this series. So what are the challenges of operating a ship like the Balmoral, or frankly, the Waverley, for that matter? Well, pleasure steamers cost money for 12 months of the year, but they only earn money for some five months in the summer. The costs continue, of course, right through the winter period. And so this means you have to attract passengers at every opportunity to generate a surplus. Many people tell me that, uh, oh, times have changed now and things are all different. Well, no, I totally disagree. It's always been the same. Pleasure steamers are to give people trips to lovely places, great events, and to enjoy an evening cruise. That's what they always were. They're not ferries, they're pleasure steamers. We've got a great example of that in an account by Captain Steve Michel when Balmoral was up on the Firth of Forth, taking people out to see the start of the tall ship's race. At the end of the cruise, I do not believe I've ever seen a happier lot of passengers leave the ship. The start line was seven miles out to sea. The sky was overcast. As the time for the start gun neared, the cloud began to break and a westerly breeze sprang up. Then they were off. The wind was enough to allow them to set full sail and beat a course out to sea. Apart from Balmoral, there are only a handful of small craft to witness this. Our passengers were truly privileged. We ran with the tall ships for half an hour or so, weaving in and out of the ships with our decks crowded, cameras whirring and clicking, passengers cheering and the ship's crews waving to our passengers out to the front of the race. Then we had to turn for home. Just as we came round, the sun broke through the cloud low on the horizon, just above the fourth bridges and directly behind the fleet of tall ships. It was a truly stunning sight as we picked our way back through the mass of billowing white sails and hissing, foaming wakes. Eventually, the Balmoral and Waverley's relationship came to an end and the last season they worked together was in 2012. The ship is now owned by an independent trust and very much focused on Bristol, South Wales and North Devon. She's run under the White Funnel banner, a nod to the house colours of P&A Campbell, the company that ran her when she was first in the Bristol Channel. To give some wider context to why it matters that ships like the Balmoral are preserved, I spoke to Hannah Cunliffe, Director of National Historic Ships UK. We need to remember that Britain is a maritime nation. Our maritime past defines us and our surviving historic ships offer one of the best ways of telling that story to future generations. One thing I've become aware of in the course of this series is the need for specialist skills. Is there anything a body like National Historic Ships can actually do to help? It wasn't long before we realised that the specialist skills we need to maintain and support historic vessels were actually at risk of dying out. Back in 2010, we set up something called the ShipShape Network, and this was an initiative designed to regenerate traditional skills and connect people across our sector. 
and it's grown exponentially over this period. So it now covers eight UK zones and supports over 100 external maritime projects. Throughout the series, we've heard about the need to make the ships pay their way. But what about major overhauls? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely right that a historic vessel needs to earn its own way, just like every other heritage asset, in order to cover its maintenance costs and overheads like insurance and moorings. We also need to recognise that many of these ships are surviving way beyond their expected lifespan, which was often expected to be not more than 20 or 30 years at most. And so sometimes they do need a bit of extra financial help. Balmoral is one of the vessels on our registers currently on a funding journey of her own. And so over the last few years, National Historic Ships has had regular meetings with the Trust to support them and advise them during this process. That is so great to hear. It is so important for everyone. Although she sailed on for a few years independently, unfortunately, she hasn't sailed since 2017. But crucially, there's still a great team of volunteers involved, keeping her maintained and focused on bringing her back into service as soon as possible. Now, it might sound a little bit like I'm standing in the middle of a motorway, not on the promenade deck of Balmoral. Well, actually, it's because the Balmoral is moored up alongside one of Bristol's busiest roads. However, here on the deck with me is Rob Skews, a dedicated volunteer and part of the team who is bringing back the Balmoral. Now, Rob, what is it about Balmoral that keeps you coming back to help preserve her week after week? I would say it's probably just a large part of my life. Um, I've been involved with this ship now for nearly 25 years and it's something that just keeps drawing you back. What's the big aim? Uh, the big aim at the moment is to get her back sailing in 2024, back doing what she does, back carrying the thousands of people that she used to carry and back round touring the country being the ship that she was once called, which is the most travelled excursion ship. I look forward to joining you aboard on that day. And I guess looking at Balmoral now, here today, she's in a really popular place. And there are major exciting projects happening all around it in this historic quayside. There's so much can happen here. I really wish her and the team all the very best. And join me next time when we discover what the future holds for a ship with another royal connection, the T.S. Queen Mary. Stormy Weather is a Bell Media production, supported by the Audio Content Fund.